Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. We in Hamilton, and I don't think this is going to be news to anyone who has followed the news uh, for the last while, we have had a hard time at times getting projects built, especially developments, buildings, condos, apartments. We've had a number of them that have been proposed by builders. Oftentimes, even if they get built, there is pushback on this. There is fighting. There's complaints about this or that. It blocks the sun. There's too much traffic, on and on and on. And yet we know we have a massive problem with housing in this city. Well, if you look just down the road, there was a story that came out last week from Niagara Falls where the city has approved a 77-story, 962-unit residential condo building said to be the tallest, I believe, in Canada. How do they get something like this passed when we struggle with these kind of things? Jim Diodati is the mayor of Niagara Falls, joins us now. Mr. Mayor, thank you for this today. Oh, thanks for having me, Scott. Uh, this is, uh, now I'm just looking at the artist's conception, obviously. This is a, a building that, boy, um, when you drive in, you're going to see it. Oh yeah, it uh, it's iconic in nature, and of course Niagara Falls is an iconic destination, and uh, that was the whole idea. They idea they wanted to have an iconic, uh, landmark featured type building with lots of housing and in a location like Niagara Falls. So the two seem to come well together. And as you mentioned earlier, we've got a housing crisis in this country. We have an affordability crisis. We've got some challenges. They're not going to get better. It's going to get significantly worse because we've got very high immigration rates. And that's not being critical of immigration. That's just saying it's a simple economic model of supply and demand. You have to build up the supply because if not, with lower supply, the price goes through the roof. And people like my kids will never be able to afford ownership and housing on their own. So this is exactly what we need to do. We have to feed into the inventory. And uh, this is one way of doing it. You can go up or you can sprawl and go out, but you do have to do something. Was there pushback to this? Because it seems, again, here, if anyone proposes a big construction project, especially a condo or an apartment, there's always a huge amount of pushback. Was there? Uh, no, there wasn't actually. Uh, nobody Not came from the neighbors, not from the neighborhood, not from any of that? No, well, we had a public meeting, which is required under the Municipal Act, and we had no opposition, no complaints. Uh, at the time of our public meeting at City Council, we did have some concerns about different things, which through the site plan process, that's when you can address them. I mean, the, the artist's rendition of the building is what it looks like now. It's going to get refined as we go through the process because there's a series of studies they need to do and follow through on. And that includes wind studies and other things. And that'll change and alter the building. But no, I mean, some people were concerned about shadowing, but typically, you know, it was early morning shadow for around an hour in someone's yard. But again, you have to decide what your priorities are. If your priorities are more housing, that's a peripheral outcome. That's something you have to learn to deal with because we need housing. That's a crisis situation in our community and all across this country. So the question is, you can't just complain. And I agree, measure twice, cut once, but you, ha you have to cut. You just can't keep measuring and talking and paralysis by analysis. You have to make decisions. That's what leadership is all about you set your priorities and then you chart a course to get you there and for us this is a priority and this is one of the ways that's going to get us there so I, i'm just i'm puzzled by why there's no pushback there when we have it here is this being built in a place that is away from all other neighbors is it out by itself where no one would complain 
No, it's right on the border, the border of our Falls View Tourism District and residential area. So it's absolutely in an area that'll affect some people. But in Niagara Falls, we've come to accept a few things. Number one, we're a tourism destination. A lot of people count on tourism to feed their families, 40,000. In fact, it needs to be successful. And we live by the brush the teeth you want to keep adage. Secondly, We've got tall buildings. That's just the nature of the beast. And if you go to any world-class destination, you have very tall buildings. And if you travel around the world, the main thing is you want to have nice architecture. And height is not really the major consideration. It's how it meets and animates the street. It's what they call the podium. That's the real in, uh, part that interacts with people. And that's the part that needs your focus. And then we look to efficiencies, put it near where you have transit routes. So people don't necessarily need a car where they can access where you've got employment centers. Of course, 40,000 people work in the tourism core. So a lot of them will be able to live there and walk to work. And one of the nice things, we press the developer to add in some attainable housing so that it's not people that don't have jobs. It's just people that can't afford a place like this. So they're going to lower the bar so that there can be ownership for some people in the same way that Habitat for Humanity does. As a matter of fact, this one development in Niagara Falls will build as many attainable housing units in one year that it took 36 years for Habitat for Humanity to do. So there's many ways to get to your goal. As I said, this is one of them. And in Niagara Falls, we understand, we accept this is one of the ways to solve our problems. There, you you talked about being a something that's going to be noticeable, that's going to be recognizable. You already have one of those with the Skylon. So I'm wondering, because here we've had in Hamilton at times, people have said, we need to have something that's a distinctive shoreline feature or something like that. You already have one. Is there concern that something big like this takes away from the one that already exists that's already sort of the image people, I mean, the falls or the image people have of the falls, but there's the Skylon right beside the falls. Any concern about that? No, I mean, the Skyline's great and it serves its purpose and it's a restaurant and an observation tower and then down below some entertainment and some retail. And that's great. But now as you get farther from the falls, sometimes you need to be taller to still have a view because all day long, the number one reason people come is the falls. And obviously a view of the falls is what people crave. So that's why as they went farther away, but it's not close to the Skyline. It's in the Falls View District. We've also recently, Scott, approved a 72-story on one site at Stanley and Dunn. Uh, we've uh, approved a number in the 60s. So there's a lot of towers and a lot of high spaces that we've approved. And, and really, the height's not the major consideration. A long time ago, it seemed to be. And then we did a lot of studies. We brought in peer review groups. We brought in expert architects from around the world. And then we came to realize that you want an interesting skyline. You don't want chunks and blocking a view. You want to make sure that it's it's interesting. And, and that's why the architecture is really key. And people are getting away from square buildings. And if you look, Mississauga has done some really great architecture. And of course, Toronto. And, and one of the things we realized early on is you don't want to set a height limit because then everybody builds to the limit. And there's different cities that have done exactly that. And then you have no interest in your skyline. Everything's the same. Everything's flat. It's all the same height. And you want to have an interesting skyline. Uh, yeah, if I look at, again, if I look at the uh, the artist drawings of this, and this could change, but I mean, the, the closest thing, it's not the same shape exactly, but the closest thing that comes to mind are those two, um, I call them the Marilyn Monroe buildings in Mississauga. Yes. Uh, people, I think, probably know what I'm talking about off the highway. They look like a 
ketchup bottle or a squeeze bottle or a Marilyn Monroe or whatever, but it, it is a different looking, unique thing that you're looking at here. It's not just a chunk. Exactly. It's interesting. And the Marilyn Monroe buildings cause uh, discussions and that's what they want. They want to be talked about and not just known, but talked about. And you want to go from the back burner to the front burner and architecture now goes beyond just a place to live or a place to visit. It wants to be an interesting place and place that people are proud to live in. And as you say, there's going to be many iterations. This is going to change, but ultimately we want to see high density and a good view and more housing. And you can build a big subdivision with urban sprawl, and that'll cost an awful lot of money for the municipality. You're gonna have to put in water and sewer and sidewalk and bus and snow plowing, and the list goes on and on. But it's much more efficient when you can do it in one one spot and go up like we did here. Because you look at a subdivision with a thousand houses, how big would it be versus something being one block? So it's much less expensive for a municipality. It's productive. And, and again, like I say, we're trying to build more housing. This isn't the only way. It's one way. And it's one of the ways that we're we're going to do it. Mm. Last thing, uh, you said that you didn't have any pushback on this from the public or I assume from other counselors. What if you had? What would you have said to someone if there had been a group of people who had come forward and said, we don't want this because it'll create too much traffic. It'll create shadows. It will overwhelm the neighborhood. It'll change the culture or the feel, all those things that come up all the time. What would you have said? Well, yeah, a lot of things change the character, but neighborhoods are evolving. They're not static. They're like a living thing, a, a vibrant thing. And and what I say to, because you hear the same complaints and concerns, property values, shadowing, winds, sewer capacity, uh, transit, like the list goes on and on. But they're required under the Municipal Act to have all professionally done studies for every single one of these. If there's not capacity in the sewer line, you can't do it, you know, and, and you need to have transit. This is part of the pr provincial direction is to build along transit ways and go lines because that's where density should be. It shouldn't be out, uh, away from it. It should be right next to it so that the idea is to encourage more people to take transit. And at the end of the day, it's okay to criticize uh, someone else's idea as long as you have a better idea. For me, people who complain that don't have a better idea should work on their better ideas because it's very easy to criticize from the sidelines. I challenge people, come up with a better idea. And if you have a better idea, we'll do your idea. But until we have a better idea, this is the idea on the table. And we encourage people, be a part of the discussion, but don't just come to complain. Don't just be about nimbyism. Don't be about banana. And that's build absolutely nothing anywhere near anyone. <laughs> be about, right? Well, th there's so many acronyms because there's so many critics out there who have a lot to say, except for solutions. So, so if there's a better idea, we say, bring it forward. Don't just come with complaints and problems, come with solutions. Then we can chat. That is Niagara Falls Mayor Jim Diodati. Uh, you can go look it up online, by the way. It's called Niagara 77, the number 77. Uh, really interesting building. Uh, Mr. Mayor, thank you for doing this today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Well, uh, I hurried that along because I want to get to uh, my guest tonight. And he's the same guy who's here every single Monday night at this time. But today he comes in with added heft and gravitas and all that kind of stuff that goes along with now being a national champion, an Allen Cup champion. Don Robertson, congratulations. Well done. Thank you, Scott. What's a gravitas? What's that mean? Gravitas, it means you've got uh, extra heft under you. 
I can't afford any more heft. <laughs> Can you not see me sitting here? The last thing I need is heft. <laughs> you you come with the uh, how about with, swagger? So okay, well that can work too. That can work too. But with the uh, with the the weightiness in an ethereal way mm-hmm. of being a champion. Uh, Don's uh, Don Astriel McCoy's beat the Clarenville Caribous, which I still think is a weird name for a team because the Caribou is plural. They shouldn't be the Caribous. Well, there's more than one of them. It's I know, te- but it's a it, team full of them. But the, I, but still, the Caribou is plural. They've got a yeah. punctual or a grammatical mistake in their name, which is why I'm so glad you beat them just to correct the grammatical mistake. Yeah. Anyway, there, there's a gaggle of Caribou. Uh, uh, yes. So yes, Don's beat team beat them on uh, Saturday in the Allen Cup, and uh, yeah, well done, good for you. Thank you. And they beat us in overtime in the uh, round robin too. The, the part about this that's so interesting though, is they're not there every year. They're not at the Allen cup every year and they don't win it every year. But last time you won the team that you mm. beat for the championship was the Clarenville grammatical mistake caribous. We are going to make a request that if we go to the Allen cup again next year, we get to play them in the final. Yeah, you should. But the, our odds will run out. You were at the game. It was, uh, uh, Bernie and I were talking on the bench and that's you, your assistant coach, uh, co-coach. Yeah. Um, head coach. And, um, when do you, you know, when do we cut down? Do we go down to carve our lines down? I said, we just played, this is our fifth game in six days. I don't think we can do that till towards the end. And then boom, they, uh, as, as you noticed, we, the roof all, almost went off great. My arena, when we scored a power play goal and like 62 seconds later, we tied them and a minute and a half later, we were up three, two. I thought the old barn was going to fall down, but it was really. Good thing they had re- renovated it a couple of years ago. Yeah. I put a new roof on it this summer. It leaks, like I said. Really? Yeah. Well, they, they didn't They didn't do any renovations to the uh, arena portion. You know, when the renovations were all done, it was all the new front for those that have been there and th- those who haven't should come. Uh, but the old arena part, uh, it wasn't touched at all. So it was in, it's time for a roof. Okay. So it, they didn't have, they, the, the, there's not a new roof on there now. No. No, okay, they need one. Okay, I get it. Yeah, we're putting a new roof on the, well, you're not city is, uh, on the old part. But yeah, it was great. We, I mean, we sold out of swag and it really, really built momentum, Scott. And you know, I, this thing was, for me, was all about getting the Allen Cup off the mat. And it was an Ontario Hockey Association Presents, not a Hockey Canada event, which traditionally it is. And I think just last week, Hockey Canada reinstated all their national championships. Uh, but I think we're fine running it ourselves and met with Alberta and met with Newfoundland and we're, we're building a path forward on how the, how the people that hand their, have their hands on the levers that actually operate teams can make decisions on the best way to showcase this thing. So that was uh, so important to me that we, that our group, I'll tell you, we have the absolute best hockey executive in the Commonwealth. They they're nice to people when they shouldn't be. It's a good thing they're up front. I mean, I, I wouldn't be as pleasant as some of our people are. I mean, they always, they, they take crap and smile at people. And I mean, it was, I mean, they're just so dedicated. They were there all week and it was, it was, and, and tuned in the dressing room. We have a wonderful group and, and it's amazing. You know, you, I sometimes think people don't take notice of how nice our people are and how hard they work and how much they enjoy doing what they do. But this week, boy, I, they really, a lot of people I know laid it on me saying, what a group. I mean, these guys just do anything for you. It was uh, it was a good week and uh, good to uh, 
pump some life back into senior hockey, which uh, has had some difficult days during COVID, but uh, hopefully this can be a bit of a uh, bit of a springboard to bring things back a little bit. Hope so. Thanks for asking. I want to play you a very brief audio clip here. Uh, many of you will recognize this. This was 30 years ago tonight. If you're around here, if you listen to Buffalo Sabres games, you'll remember this. Take a listen. Bring it up to LaFontaine. He gets tripped up, gets it to May, and over the line. He's May going in on goal. He shoots. He There's uh, Rick Jenner, the great Rick Jenner. Don, I played that one partially because it's the 30th anniversary and it's a good excuse to play that. But Mm. there are, I don't know that truly that that goal would be remembered outside of Brad May's immediate family and friends were it not for that call. It's amazing what a play-by-play guy or woman, but a a play-by-play person can do to burn those moments into your brain when there is an amazing call. That one was legendary. Yeah. Right. And Jennerette was, he was in a league of his own. And no way to prepare because the last person you think is going to score that goal is Brad Brad. May. That's why a few more than outside of his personal family might know, but because it was so unexpected. And, And the guy that he put the puck through his feet to score was Ray Bork. Yeah. Yeah, he deked Ray Bork out of his shorts, which is makes it even more. But anyway, carry on. So there's a few. Um, I remember when Nikolai Borsheski scored yep. the um, overtime goal against Detroit, and Joe Bowen did that justice like nobody else could have. And Joe Bowen, Bowen's one call, when I forget who was fighting Brown, and uh, they squared off, and it was a, an unsuspecting leaf in the fight, and... <laughs> Bones is going, and down goes Brown. Down goes Brown. Because <laughs> it was like Borshevsky had beat him up. And the other legendary one around here is Touch Em All Joe. That's right. That's That That was another one that immediately right. comes to mind. Which it just, it, it, you know, we sort of, I think we take we take for granted sometimes. Because not all play-by-play people are great. They're not. They, nope. they're, they're not all great. But the great ones, you know, it, it, you realize how much of... Um, the legend of the team in some ways in the eyes of the fans or the head of the fans, the memory of the fans is built on those calls. Well, so, so that's got to make you wonder. The May Day one had to come off the top of his head. hundred percent. He, he, Rick Jennerette was never driving home after a goal going May Day, May Day. <laughs> think he's going to an overtime winner in the playoffs. Um, but it, it would have been nice and we can't do it now to know if Tom Cheek had that kind of written down somewhere or in the back of his head. Well, he all, he said he didn't. He said, I mean, he, he, was he did asked an interview. He was asked about it and said, no, no, you can't, you, how do you prepare for, yeah. how do you prepare? And now maybe, you know, did the, did the thought ever cross his mind beforehand about touch them all for a big home run and he saved it up? Maybe. But again, I still wonder if in that moment, because I mean, think about it for a second. You, you are, you've been calling every single Blue Jays game. Tom Cheek, remember, he like called yeah. every single game. Uh, never missed one. And you get that kind of moment. Your heart is racing as fast as the players at that point. Yeah. I don't know that you have that kind of recall. It is just whatever pops out of your mouth. But I tell you, I, the, the May Day one to me uh, is among those that you look at and you say, those are, the, those are the legendary calls that make sports 
memorable for people listening. Yeah, and you're right. All play-by-play guys aren't legendary. I mean, there are they, some bad calls. There want, are. They want to be. But they're, and that's they're the problem. Not. There are some bad calls because guys try to be Rick Jennerette or Joe Bowen or Tom Cheek, and they can't. Yeah. They can't. Well, Derek Will's here. I remember talking to Derek at different times, and he grew up in the peninsula. And he got to call a couple of games when Rick Jennerette was taking uh, time off when he was doing play-by-play for the Bulldogs. And now now Derek Will's does the Calgary Flames. Um, he, but he wanted to be like Rick Jennerette. And I said to him, don't you want to be like yourself? And he went, well, I try and mix it in. But he, I mean, he's he's a pretty proficient sure he is. play-by-play guy now. But it's taken time. It's taken, he is now. He's, he's outstanding now. But you, you can't help it, I don't think, if you have grown up listening yep. to someone to absorb some of that and to find your own way is tr- like everybody wants to, every Ticat announcer that we've had and, you know, Rick Zamperin, who is, you know, everyone knows Rick, he's here. Uh, he did the Ticats for all great touchdown calls, but everyone since and before has tried to come up with their signature call. Some have been really good. Some have been, wow, you're really trying hard. And you can tell, you can yeah. tell the ones that sound like they just rolled off your tongue are the ones that sound great. Like they've done it before and they're supposed to be doing it, right? Yeah. And, and like, you're not, I think, and you know, disagree, uh, anyone if they wish, but I think that if you th- listen to a call, whether it's Ticats or anyone else, if you listen to a call and think, wow, that guy spent a lot of time working on that one, it means it was a bad call. It's the ones where you just in the moment, like we just talked about with the Mayday, where you just it flows out from somewhere and it just works. Well, and if you think back, you're not old enough, but I am. Uh, when you think back to hockey and the first and only national broadcaster we ever had was Foster Hewitt. Yep. And nobody's ever replicating on a regular play-by-play basis the uh, good evening hockey fans in Canada, United States, and Newfoundland, and that's and you can't you do that very repl- well. Yeah, you do that very well. <laughs> you can't replicate that, so well, nobody shoots, could steal his stuff. He shoots, he scores. That was his. Si- I know, and it's the simplest thing possible. That was not something I'm sure that he sat up in his bedroom one day and thought, "What am I going to say?" He just saw that he shoots, he scores, and, and everybody works. uses it. Everybody uses it. The other one, which I find hilarious, not the call, his call of when he came out of retirement to do the 72 series and Henderson has scored for Canada. Yeah. If you go up now, I don't know. I haven't been there in a couple of years, but when it was first open and for years, if you went up to the press box at Scotiabank place, Air Canada Center, as I still call it, where the Leafs play. You go up into the press box, the Foster Hewitt press box, they had a big mural on the wall. And again, what was his line from that goal? Henderson has scored for Canada. You go into the- Henderson has scored for Canada. You go into the Foster Hewitt press box named after him and they say Henderson scores for Canada. They had the wrong quote. Written on the wall, which I thought, how, uh, I hope they've fixed it since then. It has been pointed out. I hope they've fixed it since then. And they have his voice in the Hall of Fame. Sure. Uh, some different, I mean, he was legendary and, and we've had so many good hockey broadcasters. Bob Cole was great, you know, right from sure. Newfoundland and everything else. And, and, but th- so many of them now, I mean, we, we may talk about rep, but it, so much of this is getting to be cardboard, you know, that they're all the same and. 
I don't want them all the same. No. I want somebody that's a little bit goofy. But again, everybody now, and for better or for worse, and I've not done this, so I'm not, I'm not going to be throwing too many stones. (laughs) Um, But for better or for worse, everybody now seems to think they need to have a signature call that everyone's going to say, oh, that's Don Robertson on that call because he said, you know, waka, 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 he scores. I mean, like, I don't know, like whatever. Bowens is Holy Mackinac. Holy Mackinac. All right. But that one. That's 30 years old though. That's his. That's right. That's right. Uh, Everybody seems to think they have to now come up with something that is going to be instantly identifiable. And the problem with that is in my mind, if it's good, it's great. But if it doesn't work, it just sounds and you keep using it. And, and you it keep using work. it. Hopefully you're going to drive it into people's minds until they finally say, oh, that's really good. But it doesn't, a lot of these, they don't get better with repetition. They just get more annoying. I, but I, the good ones are really good. I've learned a lot uh, more about basketball than I thought I ever would. I mean, I was on the bandwagon when the uh, when the Raptors won it. But before that, I you know, if I was in the car going home or something like that, and I'd flip on the radio and listen to Chuck Swirsky yep. doing the Raptors, I really enjoyed him. And he would throw things in like, you know, and he drops that one from downtown Oshawa or downtown yep. Burlington. And he just made it kind of fun to listen to. And, uh, but it wasn't a signature call. It was just kind of a gimmick he did. And I got to think, well, that's pretty interesting. Cause you gotta, you gotta throw something interesting into it every once in a while. Yeah. There's, there's one, uh, there's one Toronto area broadcaster. I don't know if he's still doing it. I, I don't want to say his name, although everyone will know who it is. But when the, Blue, when the Blue Jays would hit a home run, he'd be, get up, ball! And it's like, you're not supposed to be cheering. Even though you're the team's broadcaster, you're still supposed to have some measure of objectivity. I, I, I was not a fan of... That's, of yeah, but that's... Um, I, I, I hear exactly where you're coming from. But if you listen to the American broadcasters and, uh, like... You would say, well, they're all homers. I mean, you'd of hear course the, they are. You'd hear Derek Sanderson on uh, Nissan, and they were such homers. And I talked to a bunch of guys that played in the states, and he said, well, that's what they're paid to do. They're paid. Any penalty that's called against your home team is very questionable, and all kinds of them are missed. That's just the way they do it. And the guy put it in perspective. He said, you're used to listening to Hockey Night in Canada, the national broadcast, where they're not cheering for either team, but Joe Bowen and Jim Ralph can. Uh, they can kind of be cheer for a team because they work for the team. Yeah, it, it's different. Anyway, I just I wanted to uh, that, that that one to me is a reminder that that Rick Jenneret made a uh, thirty years ago today. That one to me just a reminder of if you were one of the great ones, what separates you as one of the great ones, and how much of a how much of a memory just that again. I, I don't know that. Outside of Buffalo, truly outside of Buffalo, Don, there would have been nobody that would remember that goal had it not been for that call. It yes. would be another playoff series that ended. It was a playoff clinching win, uh, a winning goal. Even so, nobody would remember it except for that call. I can't believe it was 30 years ago. I can't believe it was 30 years ago either, but um, mm, there you go. Uh, last night, the Oilers and Kings played game four. Terrific game. Excellent hockey, uh, hockey game, Don. Uh, what I can't figure out is... If you're the NHL, the NFL season is not on right now. So Sunday afternoon is not dominated by the NFL. Even if it was, why in the world are you having the greatest player in the league and maybe the second greatest player too 
and one of your biggest markets. Why, why are you having them play? They were still going at midnight last night. Why are you not figuring out a way to say, okay, we're going to start you guys at even three o'clock or four o'clock in the afternoon. So people, kids can watch. Why in the world are you burying Sid, uh, Connor McDavid in this series? No idea. And the NHL, generally speaking, don't make those marketing mistakes, but you're right. I mean, I, first time I'd been able to watch any hockey because of last week's Allen Cup, but, um, when I went to bed, they were down to nothing, but I couldn't stay up for it. I mean, it was just, I mean, I had a big week, but you know, I was done and you're absolutely right. You would think that they have an opportunity. They're not going to do it every night. They're not going against the masters. No, you can't do it every night. You can't have, you can't change every game, but on a Sunday night when there's nothing else going on, why you would not say we're moving this game up so that the rest of North America can can see you. Cause you're right. How many people I, I will see with TV numbers, but I don't know how many people are staying up till after midnight for that game. Well, and, and they don't need to make them the afternoon game, move the seven o'clock game to an afternoon game and move that one to seven, right? Which is still one o'clock, uh, four o'clock four out o'clock. there. Yep. Right. I mean, it's, you're right. It's a pretty easy shift to do. Now, I don't know what's going on with NBA playoffs and maybe, maybe they have to book their, the buildings and. Uh, unless it was in Edmonton, but you well, know, that can NH- be a challenge. If the NHL is worried about running up against the, N- uh, the NBA playoffs, if if the TV broadcasters in the States particularly are worried about running up against the NBA playoffs, so we don't want to have an NHL game up against it, I assure you, you're not getting more people by putting the game on so stinking late at night that people have tuned out. That's, you're better to take your chance and go head to head. That's That wasn't, that wasn't my... My concern wasn't the NBA and when they were playing, but I've been to the Staples Center with the Oilers. And that is, I mean, they have two NBA teams and an NHL team. They, I mean, there may have been an NBA game in the afternoon. The game was in LA, right? Yep. Right? So there, there may have been a basketball game in the afternoon, or they may have had to leave the slot open for a basketball game in the afternoon. Because they turned that building around awfully fast. Uh, I Char- don't know. But. Charles Barkley was on... Um whatever, uh, TNT or ES, I guess TNT he was on because he does the, the show with Shaq and, uh, and he said uh, on the air during the Timberwolves Nuggets NBA game, I was watching hockey. This game is boring as hell. Talking about the NBA. He's even saying, while I'm here to talk about NBA, I've actually been watching the NHL game because it's way more entertaining. I'm saying, if you're the NHL, why you are so worried about running up against, or, or the broadcaster, why you're so worried about running up against the NBA playoffs, I still think you would, if you have a great series going on, and they all are right now, yeah. why you're so scared of the NBA at this moment. Barkley's the only guy on the planet that's getting paid to cover the NBA that could pull that off and get away with it. That's true. That's like true. He is imagine, the only guy. Can you imagine if... if Elliot Friedman or someone was on the oh. intermission show and he says, I'm sorry, I wasn't watching the game. There was some golf on that. It was more interesting to me <laughs> on a different channel. Uh, <laughs> that would be the last time you'd ever see him. But anyway, it's, um, yeah, I don't. Well, I, it, is, it is a better game. And, you know, we've, we've talked about it before. I don't know if we've talked about it during, but generally speaking, some of your very best rounds of NHL playoffs are the first rounds. Oh yeah. I mean, you think about the Leafs in Tampa Bay. I mean, 
they're both in the top six. You like keeping track of this yep. stuff. Well, the Tampa NHL. had slipped by the end of the year, but yeah. They, the, but they're I both mean, top 10 teams. Yeah. And so some of the battles that you get in the first series are so important. And the first series can have such an impact on teams advancing. Like if you can get out of your first round in four straight or five games and get two or three games off, I mean, that's going to be huge down the road. 100%. Like the like Hamilton, Hamilton or Hamilton, um, Tampa and Toronto, they could go seven games, and they are going to pound the living snot out of each other to get out of this series. And Boston's going to be sitting there licking their chops. Yeah, that's why. Well, that's one of the reasons I think why tonight's game is so unique for the Leafs. Yes, it is because they have. Remember, it was a two years ago when Brendan Shanahan, after the playoff series with Montreal, said we have no killer instinct. Here's your chance yes. if you're the Leafs to show that things have changed. You, you, they may not win tonight. I mean, they could play an amazing game and, and Vasilevsky could turn into a, you know, yeah. Vasilevsky of old. But if they don't show something today with a chance to go up 3-1 and do exactly what you're saying, maybe escape a series early and have some recovery time and avoid injuries, if they don't show up and play an outstanding game, you question... Have they figured out the killer, killer instinct, instinct yet? Yeah. And that's, you know, I don't know. Is there is there a hockey player in the world who wants to be tagged with the reputation that he doesn't have a killer instinct? Is there an athlete in the world that doesn't want to be, that wants to be tagged with a reputation of having no killer instinct? Well, the, the, the problem is that teams that have enough guys that don't care if you say they haven't got the killer instinct, that's why they lose. Mm. They, they don't care if you come up and say, you guys got no killer instinct. Yeah, but I'm making nine million a year. Well, I mean, that's those guys you don't even want around you. Yeah, no, it's it's a. Uh, we'll see if if things have changed. We'll see if they find whatever that missing thing was because it didn't. You know, they played as I say they against Tampa. They played much better last year. Still lost in Game Seven, but that killer instinct. You know, it's a teams that can dig deep um, and pull off miraculous things are generally blessed with a great deal of intestinal fortitude and they really, really care. Yeah. I, I saw one Saturday afternoon, we were down two, nothing going into the third and we were down two, nothing with 10 minutes to go. And our guys just sat there and said, they are not going to win this hockey game. And that's what you need to be able to win. Like we played our fifth game in six days. These guys were all dead. I'm sure their groins are all shot. I mean, you can't play that much hockey, which is why when I say in a different perspective, these guys need a rest. If they can, if they can shorten a series, any series you can shorten is such a bonus at the end. When you're, if you get the Stanley Cup Finals, there's a chance that somebody's played four or five more games than you and flown all over the place. You have a leg up on them. Well, one year or two years, in the, we got to run here. When the when in the Pat Burns era with the Leafs with Curtis Joseph and then when they went to the semifinals twice in a row, at least once and possibly both times they had got there and then played three straight seven game series. Yeah, and you are going to be beaten up, exhausted, worn down, all those things if you've got to go every second night nonstop without a break. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how gutsy you are. I don't care how talented you are. Um, you know, especially with the NHL playoffs, I, I'm, I'm not dumping on the NBA, but you can, <laughs> no, I'm not, but the NBA playoffs are physical and they're intense 
but when you talk about physical in the NBA compared to hockey, it's a different physical. It's a different physical. You're not, you don't hear in the NBA at the end when a team wins a championship, you don't hear the players having the roll call of, well, he finished the series with a dislocated shoulder and he had three broken bones in his foot and he, you know. So-and-so's getting surgery tomorrow morning. Yeah. Yeah. You don't hear any of that because they wouldn't play through it by and large. You know, LeBron James, uh, great player, not a fan of the act, honestly. LeBron James got gently tapped in the groin the other day by a player running by him who made slight contact. Now, maybe LeBron is an intensely sensitive man in the groinal axis. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe the, maybe that, uh, that zone for the king is uniquely sensitive, but the way he went down, you would have thought that someone had fired a cannonball in there. <laughs> and then I watch, you know, Ryan O'Reilly stop a slap shot with the top of his skate and skate off the ice and not even show a limp. And you know it hurt. Well, you know it hurt. But, you know, it's like, come on. Hockey is so different. I, I, I'll tell you, I, don't, I know what you need to go. go. <clears throat> Friday night after our semifinal game in Dundas, there was more ice on mm. body parts in our dressing room than there was in JL Greitmeyer <laughs> yeah. ice surface. I'm sure. I mean, I'm these sure. guys are just beat up. There's ice everywhere. The, the one thing that I always, well, so last year when the Bulldogs went to the Memorial Cup, I remember that, uh, at least two of the guys were playing with either a broken shoulder blade. One, uh, Nathan Steos was playing with a broken shoulder blade and Ryan Winterton was playing with a dislocated shoulder that had popped out like two or three times and they just kept playing. You don't, you don't get that. I mean, in football, yeah, maybe, maybe you do, you get that, um, my, the one I always remember is years ago, and I'm trying to think of his name, Smith. He was the captain of the Oilers for a period of time. He played with the Leafs as well, a defenseman. I can't remember his first name. Stopped a puck with his mouth. Jason Smith. Jason Smith. Stopped a puck with his mouth and had been split from his nostril down to his lips. So it was basically a flapping open area and stood in the tunnel and got stitched up and missed like three shifts and then came right back on. And it's like, who in any other sport does this? Nobody. I mean, as I say, football. Football guys play through a bunch of stuff. But it's... Nobody's uh, getting stitched up, though. Like uh, hockey players. No, not like that. Not not like that. And so I, I look and I go, yeah, it's, you know, intensity. Yeah, it's... it's NBA is very intense, but not... Not in the same way. Uh, what did you do to celebrate after you won the Allen Cup on the weekend? Uh, you mean that night? Well... Was there, was there champagne being sipped from the, or poured from the mug into open mouths or was it a quiet, quiet, somber celebration because, uh, everyone was too tired. Oh, by the way, uh, Tampa has a penalty shot here in the first period. Um, and they do not score. It wasn't somber. It was. Well, it wouldn't be somber. I mean like quiet because everyone was, yeah, they would, if you guys were somber after winning a championship, that'd be weird. So five games in six days. Yeah. That's there was a lot. a lot of ice on everybody's body. Yes. Uh, but we did have champagne in the Allen Cup, which is traditional. Yep. And, um, I would say out of, outside of exhaustion, sheer exhaustion, the guys were ecstatic. And then they went over to one of our sponsors, uh, the Collins. Brew house and they, we had the basement tied up and the boys, um, went over there and had a few pops and something to eat and reminisce. But the nice part about it is, and, and you saw it on the ice, 
a lot, and I encourage this. I mean, a lot of the guys will bring their wives or girlfriends down, and hopefully they didn't bring both, and their, their kids and mom and dad. And like, everybody gets a chance to get a picture with a cup, right? And as I said to you off air, I, the Cambridge Hornets had their 40th anniversary of winning the Allen Cup, so I had two glasses of tea and had to leave and take it up to Cambridge. Didn't have to. It was the right thing to do. And let them, some of their old timers, get some pictures with it. And then I brought it back to the Collins and the uh, the party ensued. But um, I was ready for bed about nine, but got home, looked at my watch and it was 1230. So that's about how late it went. I mean, in the old days, it would have been all night and partying and craziness. But with drinking and driving, it's really kind of ruined celebrations like that because <laughs> guys guys have to travel, right? Yep. And some of them had their kids. So we will regroup with the cup, um, but our executive were happy. We had uh, beer and wings upstairs at the arena when it was all quiet and it was kind of surreal when you look out on the ice and realize what had happened like two hours before yeah. that. Yeah. So it was hey, pretty cool. Uh, before, and that was, that's, that's, again, congratulations for that. That was outstanding and it was a great event. Uh, just very quickly before we go, because uh, you and I have talked about this before. I said just a moment ago, Tampa had a penalty shot in this game. Toronto's on a power play. They give up a shorthanded breakaway. Riley trips them. They get a break. They get a penalty shot. They don't score. I have argued forever that if you don't score on the penalty shot, then you should get a power play because it seems weird that Toronto would be on the power play. Tampa gets a penalty shot and then Toronto goes right back onto the power play. It doesn't make any sense. But you've isolate. I know, you've made that argument before, and it it, it has some merit, but very seldom. Do you ever see a team that's on a power play give up a penalty shot? But even if it hadn't been a power play. Yeah, no, I get it. But, it, but that was really odd. Yeah, it was very odd. But uh, you know what? If you, if the idea is that a penalty shot is the most, is a penalty for the most egregious foul, not violent, but like. Yeah, scoring chance. Why? I think most teams, given the choice, I think most teams, like look at the Edmonton Oilers with the most potent power play, I think in history. No, Gretzky's was. Well, okay. It was a right up there. I thought numerically it was anyway. Okay. Maybe. It is. Um, but you're telling me that if they had a choice between one chance in a shootout or a two minute power play, they wouldn't take the two minute power. I think most teams would take the two minutes. It seems like you're almost penalizing a team for. Well, if you're trying to increase the offense. One, nothing Tampa. If you're trying to increase the, the offense, then that theory is a great one. Give them the penalty shot, and then if they don't score, give them a penalty. Yeah. Yeah, well, as I say, one nothing Tampa. Uh, look at that, on a power play. Can't score on the penalty shot, you score on the power play. I'm telling you, every team just about would take the power play over the penalty shot, I think. Because especially now that you've had shootouts, so goalies have seen hundreds and hundreds of penalty shots essentially. It's not like it's new anymore. It's not like it's something surprising that guys can have a secret up their sleeve. They've, the goalies have all seen a million of these things. Anyway, anyway, we will leave that one for, uh, leave that for till next week when, uh, when Don is back and, um, after a week of celebrating with your Allen cup, hopefully you can, uh, put some Gatorade or something in it, some Metamucil. I don't know what it is just to try and, uh, help you recover after a long week at the rink. It was a long one. Now, now, now I'm behind at work, so yeah, 
We had a busy day at work. But anyway, everything's great. Everything's great in Dundas, and thank you. Everything is great in Dundas. There's, uh, there should be all the signs coming into town. That should be the, the new motto. I love New York. Everything's great in Dundas. That, you, you just may have stumbled on a great— uh, Have you seen what's on the sign in Dundas? What is it? On the town of Dundas? I can't remember what it is. Home of the Allen Cup champion, Dundas Real McCoys. Well, then, see, there you go. There you go. And— uh, Now they can leave it up. Now they can leave it up for another few years. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.